Ecclesiastes chapter 4 is where we find ourselves uh, again this morning. I'd encourage you to turn there in your Bibles or follow along in the insert that's found in your bulletin. If those, if, if you're one in this room who, um, who looks at uh, the sermon title, possibly you came in, grabbed a bulletin, looked at the sermon title, and you said, again? Are you kidding me, Pastor Nate? You're going to talk about community again? I mean, didn't you just preach on community a couple months ago? Didn't Pastor Ed just encourage us in community uh, several weeks ago? And aren't we taking a class on community in the discipleship hour, and of course, all that is true. But here's the thing. First of all, there's lots that we could talk about in regards to that word community. But secondly, and more importantly, I didn't pick that subject for this week. I just went to the next passage in the book of Ecclesiastes as we walk through this book. And that's the beauty of preaching chapter by chapter, verse by verse through books of the Bible, is that I don't strictly set the agenda for what you hear. God sets the agenda. And apparently, God wants us to think about community a lot these days. I recognize that. The preacher here in Ecclesiastes, particularly in these last chapters, we've looked at over the past few weeks, has been reflecting on life. And he's not so much prescribing how we ought to live our lives, but he is observing how life under the sun is, just the reality of it. We've tried to go that extra step and ask the question, so what? You've observed that about life, but what does that mean for our lives? How does that change us? We've recognized that his observations, his questions, even the conclusions that Solomon comes to in the book of Ecclesiastes, as they are encapsulated for us in God's Word, they become indicators and directions for us to figure out how true life is to be lived. It's not found, life is not found, simply under the sun. But life is found in heeding the wisdom of a man who lives life to the fullest and has found a relationship with the Lord and has found a perspective on life that we need. And so let's listen once again to Solomon, to his words, and then speak about him for a few minutes. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, picking up at verse 7 where we stopped last week, verse 7 through the end of the chapter. Listen as I read. Again, I saw vanity under the sun, one person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, and so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? 
And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to the throne, though in his own kingdom he had been poor. I saw all the living who move about under the sun, along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end of all the people, all of whom he led. Yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and a striving after wind. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. You know, we really ought not be surprised when the stories that we tell in our world and the storylines that we sing about so often reflect not only the wisdom of the Bible, but the longings of our human hearts as well. A couple weeks ago I began with a reference, it was an easy reference, to a song from decades ago, the Bird's classic song, Turn, 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 to every season. Turn, Turn, Turn. And even before that, I had referenced several lines from various songs that talk about our world and the state of it. The Ecclesiastes has been easy picking in regards to my love for music. Well, today I give you this line. It's just no good anymore since you went away. Now I spend my time just making rhymes of yesterday because... One is the loneliest number. Anybody remember that song? 1969, Three Dog Night. They kick off the theme for today's portion of the book of Ecclesiastes. Because you know what? One is indeed the loneliest number. There's no doubt that as we come to this section in Ecclesiastes, that this is the emphasis. The Hebrew word for one is used five times in these verses, and the Hebrew words for two and second are used an additional six times. Clearly, the preacher of Ecclesiastes is focused on the math in our lives. Specifically, the math in our relationships with one another. Today I want to walk through these verses with unpacking just one truth. One truth for you today. Now kids, don't get all excited like you're going to write this sentence and then it's going to be over in terms of listening. No, there's some, there's some things you need to write under it, okay? But this is the one point for today. God wants you needy for more than you. God wants you needy for more than just you. Let me explain what I mean by that. This passage in Ecclesiastes is not abstract knowledge. This is biblical wisdom focused on you and on what's best for you. It doesn't get any more practical than this. At the heart of this passage, 
Those of you who know God's Word, who have grown up in Christian circles, you recognized a phrase in the middle of this passage, didn't you? Because at this heart of this passage is a familiar phrase in verse 12. A threefold cord is not easily broken. Verse gets thrown out. It, that verse gets thrown around a lot in the church, a lot in our circles, but not necessarily with the original intent about why it was written. For instance, at weddings, a lot of the times at weddings, this verse is used, perhaps it even was used at your wedding. And it is, it is a beautiful and it is a true picture to think about you and your spouse and God forming a threefold cord that is not easily broken. It's just not Solomon's exact point here. He's not speaking specifically about marriage. He's speaking about human relationships in general. He's speaking about the same thing that he says in the first five words of verse 9. Two are better than one. See, Solomon has looked at life. Solomon has lived life to the very fullest, and he's reflected on all of this living, and he has concluded that we need others. It's built into the very fabric of who we are. The very image that we bear, a stamp, so to speak. Every one of us in this room has a stamp of Trinitarian fellowship and love built into us. And that's why God wants you needy for more than just you. And so the question that I want us to be asking ourselves throughout these next few minutes is, how needy are you? Or maybe more specifically, maybe more pointedly, how much neediness do you show? to those who are around you. None of us in this room, including myself, none of us in this room want to look incompetent. We don't want to look weak, especially us men. But this isn't just a male problem. It's everybody's problem. So often we come into this room and we put on our best faces and we hide our need. We hide our hurt. We go through the motions of life. We go through the motions of church. And the Lord says, no. You need to recognize your need. See, we all need to grow in this. To varying levels. But we all need to grow. In order to drive us to ask these questions, in order to prod us to grow in our neediness, Solomon goes about it in this passage in a negative and a positive way. So let's first... We'll get to the positive in a moment, but let's first focus on the negative that he brings about. Focused, or excuse me, sandwiched, sandwiched around the positive, which we'll get to in a moment, are two cases of isolation. That's the negative. First, verses 7 and 8, you can look there if you want. He warns us about what one commentator called the compulsive-driven Moneymaker. I thought that was a good title for the character of 
verses 7 and 8, the compulsive driven moneymaker, the one who is so caught up in the rat race, the one who is so caught up with keeping up with those around him, the one who is looking for life in his stuff, so much so that he has no time for others. He has no time to serve. He has no one to enjoy. Jesus warned about this kind of individual in Mark chapter 8, verse 36, where he says, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? See, I would say that part of forfeiting your soul is living solely for yourself. And Solomon concludes, this is vanity and an unhappy business. So you have that first driven, compulsive moneymaker who has no time for others. Then on the other side of our passage are actually two cases of isolation that are, that are intertwined with each other. We have a youth and we have a young king. I'm jumping down to verse 13 and following. See, you have this old and foolish king who gets so crusty and so stuck in his ways that he refuses to take anybody's advice. And Proverbs 18.1 speaks to this man as it warns, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. And so instead of listening to those around him, recognizing his need, He went his own way, only to get usurped by this youth. A youth who eventually rose to the top, but then quickly found when he was at the top, that ultimately his 15 minutes of fame will end. That it's lonely at the top. And that eventually, when his rule is over, will he be remembered? No. Not under the sun he won't. He will be forgotten. See, we have these two cases of isolation. The compulsive driven moneymaker, the youth and the king and their stories intertwined. And it doesn't fit together as neat and tidy as we would like it to fit together. But Solomon is showing us the dead end results of a life focused on me. On you. And yet that's so easily the mantra of our culture. In a line from a movie that I hated, and so I don't recommend it to you, so I'm not going to tell you the title, but it clearly spoke to our culture because it won an Oscar. A mother says to her teenage daughter, You're old enough now to learn the most important lesson in life. You cannot count on anyone except yourself. It's sad, but true. And the sooner you learn it, the better. Wow. Solomon says, no, that's not the case. You not only can count on others, but you need to count on others. You must count on others. And he tells us why. He gives us three simple reasons, three simple ways that two are better than one. 
And here are three words that you can write down. You can put a little stuff under each one, kids. All right? I got three S words. So we're just one point, but see, I'm being sneaky. I got some subpoints here. We got three S words. The first one is success. The second one is support. And the third one is safety. Success, support, and safety. That's what Solomon says to us this morning. As we think about these benefits, as we walk through them in our text this morning, I want us to think about applying them in our lives in at least two ways. Now, there's, of course, a myriad of ways for us to think about applying that simple principle that two are better than one. A three-fold cord is not easily broken. Some of us, for instance, have spouses in this room. We all recognize that what a blessing our spouses are and what strength they give us. But that's not everybody. Some of us has, have siblings or relatives or friends that we are close to that when we think about two being better than one, we immediately think about them. And those are appropriate applications. And I pray that the Holy Spirit helps you apply His Word into those relationships. But as we sit here this morning in the house of God, as the people of God, I want you to think specifically about two ways that this applies to us. I want us to think about the fact that God wants you needy for Jesus, and God wants you needy for His bride. The church. Now Solomon is not speaking specifically about those things, but as we digest this together as a corporate family, as a spiritual family, I think it's appropriate for us to think in that way. So first of all, success. Verse 9. Verse 9. Two are better than one. Why, Solomon? Because of success. They have a good reward for their toil. How much do you try to accomplish without consulting the Lord, without relying on His help? The prophet cried out, Hosea 7.14, the prophet cried out with the words of the Lord, they do not cry to Me from the heart, but they wail upon their beds. Success in every, any endeavor that we go through, any endeavor, from the epic to the mundane, must be blessed by God. So as you think how needy you are, how much do you need Jesus tomorrow morning? And how are you expressing that need? Tomorrow morning. I confess that this indicts me. This indicts all of us to some degree. We think we can be successful. We think we can accomplish without the Lord. But we need David's heart in Psalm 86. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. And as we think about success in a corporate setting, in a corporate manner, as we think about success in regards to the church, we think about our mission. 
Our mission as a church and working together as a church and, and the, the Scripture's instruction that the hand cannot say to the ear, I don't need you. It's no mistake that Jesus sent out His disciples two by two. He said that if two of you agree on earth about whatever you ask, it will be done. And even the prayer He taught, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, is taught in the midst of a corporate prayer. See, Jesus fulfilled His mission alone. At least in the final stage. Jesus fulfilled His mission alone on the cross. That we might have a mission. And that we might not be condemned ourselves, but that we might be locked arm in arm with one another. That we might have success. Not success as we see it. Not success necessarily as we want it, but success as the Lord wants it. What does kingdom success look like with us? Success then as a church begins with a deep dependency on Him and an ever-increasing dependency on one another. Two are better than one because of the reward that their toil together brings about. That's the first S. But as we go to these next two S's, to illustrate these last two benefits, Solomon takes us back to the roadways of the ancient Middle East. Roadways where travelers walked or rode. They weren't really even roads. They were just paths at best. Pathways where people would walk on long, treacherous journeys without places to lodge, without the patrolling of law enforcement as we are accustomed to in our modern world. And so the second S is support, verses 10 and 11. If they fall, one will lift up his fellow. If two lie together, they can keep warm. This isn't some metaphorical picture that Solomon is drawing for the people of his day, but in his day, these are very real dangers. Falling alone in a ravine can be a bad situation. Normally, we don't have that problem in our modern era, but we do sometimes. Cold nights in the open on a treacherous journey can be dangerous. But with the body heat of another, a cold night can be survived. And so Solomon takes his hearers back to this ancient roadway to the ancient pictures, but as we think about applying these to our lives, we don't face those kinds of dangers normally, but our dangers in our lives are no less real. Illness, loss, adversity. I could go on and on. I know what some of you are going through. I know what some of you have gone through. The question is, do you know what your brothers and sisters in this room are facing. Do you want to know? And if you are one who is facing adversity, are you letting others know? 
Are you inviting us in? Are you asking us to pray for you? Or are you keeping your need a secret? God wants you needy. Dependent on Him and dependent upon what He has given you for your strength, for your support, for your success. And finally, for your safety. That's the last S. Verse 12. Two will withstand against a man. Again, take yourself back to those ancient roads or pathways in the Middle East. Those roads were treacherous. Just think of the story of the Good Samaritan. The man who got beat up and left for dead. But there's safety in numbers, isn't there? Of course there is. Our concern is not that kind of safety, but what, what kind of safety do we have to be concerned about? How about temptation? Who knows about the things that you struggle with? And who is holding you accountable? How about spiritual warfare? Where are the tender places in your heart and in your life that the enemy knows he can attack? Who knows about those? Do you invite people to pray when you feel an onslaught coming on? Two are better than one. A threefold cord is not easily broken. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. One of Aesop's fables is called The Four Oxen and the Lion. It's a simple story. A lion used to prowl about a field in which four oxen used to dwell. Many a time he tried to attack them, but whenever he came near, they turned their tails to one another so that whichever way he approached them, he was met by the horns of one of them. But at last, however, they fell quarreling among themselves and they each went off to a pasture alone in a separate corner of the field. And the lion attacked them one by one and soon made an end to all four. God has given us each other for our safety. Not just are we called to bear one another's burdens, but to protect against those things that would prevail against us if we were merely left alone to ourselves. Well, God has given us another sermon on community. He's asked us again to think about our life Together, And my encouragement is to seize the wisdom of Solomon, to seize the wisdom of the church, to recognize your need and to not be content to live on the fringes of this family, on the fringes of this life together. God wants you needy for Him, for His church, and that's for your good as well as for His glory. Let's pray together. Father in Heaven, I thank You for Your Word once again. Holy Spirit, I pray that You would take it now 
apply it to our lives, cause it to change us, even our very priorities tomorrow. May we think differently about how we live our days. Oh, Father, do the work that you have designed for your word to do, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.